Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded once again at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, a contributing editor of Publishers Weekly. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter or X at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. Um, and uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the, the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can leave us a comment or a rating on most of the podcast platforms that we're on. And we would love you to do so because... We love to hear from our readers. Talk our to listeners. us. Why don't you? All right, this week on More to Come. Marvel and DC together again. And that's a question mark at the end of that. Uh, the graphic novel... My bad. Graphic novel comics roundtable. The graphic novel comics roundtable. Thank you, Heidi. Re- adult reading lists have been released. And there's a kid's one too, I think. Um... French comics market booms, and uh, and there's a manga sub story to this as well. Uh, a tiny onion grows. Uh, content Armageddon. MCU in the news. Dogman goes to Hollywood, and uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Brian Box Brown interview that Heidi did last week. So, Marvel and DC together. Well, it's been a long time, right? And uh, it's unfortunate how this story came out. So I'm only going to tell the story here on the podcast. So if you happen to listen to the podcast, you're the only ones hearing this. But, um, you know, basically, yes, Marvel's short version is Marvel and DC are omnibizing their uh, member amalgam. How do you say amalgam? How do you pronounce it? The way you said it. You said it right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember back in the day they said amalgam, but they're wrong. Oh, and they were good wrong. lord. But, you know, nobody That's could pronounce brutal. it. I'm just saying a lot of people couldn't pronounce amalgam. But if you do recall, those books were like uh, taking the most popular Marvel characters, the most popular DC characters, and then mixing them up. So it was like Doctor Strange Fate or the Iron Lantern or stuff like that. And... um so, um, so yeah, it was definitely there was those were the latest books of kind of this whole stream of team ups that began in the seventies, uh, starting with Spider Man versus Superman, and uh, the last one was JLA Avengers, which came out in two thousand five, and that was it. You know, then there a lot of other things happened with Marvel and DC. So they were, uh, they, they announced that they were going to put out an omnibus of this. They'd been out of print for quite a long time and people got really excited about sure. this. So, um, and I think it was a little bit sad that how the story came out was like one of the creators on his Facebook page had said, Oi, mate, well, I'm looking for some, <laughs> I'm doing a bad English accent, but <laughs> really yeah, bad English. <laughs> Uh, we are looking, I've been looking for some, you know, we're putting out some reprints and I'm looking for some, some art if anybody has any. And, you know, I was alerted to this and we were going to run a story at the beat, but then we were like, you know, the guy's going to get in big trouble for leaking this. And so we didn't run the story, but some other website did run it right away and got like the scoop, the scoop and so much attention. And I'm just like. You know, when you know how the sausage is made sometimes, it's really tastes crappy. Mm. So, um, because then Marvel, or DC did put out a press release right away afterwards that was, um, you know, confirming that this was happening. But obviously, they had intended, I mean, it was still a big deal, but they didn't get to do it with all the fanfare that they wanted to do it with, because one dude, who then was like, oh, I forgot, this wasn't private, you know... (laughs) I forgot people were on the internet. It's so professional. Oh my god, yeah. But there was a lot of excitement over it, and I guess, you know, the question became, could they team up again? Well, this is, I mean, this is interesting to me, because frankly, when the original team was happened, I was drifting out of superhero comics. I was 
a kind of a total the, the underground. original. Yeah, in yeah. the 70s. Because isn't it the first 70s, happened in the 70s? the actual original in the yeah, 70s. Yeah, it's in the 70s. Yeah. So, and, and I kind of heard some stuff about it. But I had been drifting out of superhero comics. And I was kind of basically only going to head shops. So I was only reading the comics I was getting in head shops. And it wasn't Superman and Batman. Right. But this was cool. As a, as a Marvel, DC, you know, kid. Uh, it was fascinating to me, but I really was not reading him. So I just sort of knew they were out there. So th- I find this very interesting that they, that they're, you know, that they're getting them, doing new reprints of them. And hey, we're in an interesting moment in periodical comics now. Maybe it's a time. I need, I, I would be someone who would be very interested in these comics because I'm an old fart. Goes. Well, <laughs> I mean, I will say. That the um, nineteen ninety six version was something that came out before I got into comics, and it was sort of. But there were still like collections of them around mm. at the time I did, and it was very much a uh, cheesy curiosity. It was sort <laughs> of like curiosity. <laughs> it was like for real. Uh, sure, why not? Um, so if 12 year old Kate was like, this is kind of lame, but sort of funny. Um, I'm guessing that adult Kate will also think this is kind of lame, but sort of funny, but that's fine. Like, that's fine. There, I prefer this is kind of lame, but sort of funny to like the occasional attempt for publicity that is something that makes you like enraged. Mm. So, you know, compared to Nazi Captain America, this is, like, amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We'll, we'll take the, we'll take it. We'll take take the it. DC Marvel team up. Sure. Yeah. Go for it, man. Well, I, I think what's interesting is that, um, so I did, did do a story that was called Will Marvel and DC Ever Team Up Again? <laughs> and I looked at kind of the history. And, I mean, they didn't make any bones about it that at several times when they teamed up, it was because sales were slipping. Yeah, yeah. it's a cash grab. It's a cash grab. And, again, no problem with that. But, but you know, what's interesting, even I, you know, I sat down to write the story and, you know, was Googling around as I was writing it looking for some links. And, and I didn't realize that they'd done David Harper. Uh, oh, yeah, the, the, the sketch. had yeah. done this. This oral history of some of the team ups, and so uh, there's a lot of really interesting, interesting stuff in there. There's some great there's comments some, in. I found some really yeah. good, good commentary on a lot of this, and um, and yeah. So Dan Jurgen says of like when they were doing like Batman versus Daredevil, which is kind of the earlier in the nineties. He said, Mike Carlin gave me a call one day and said, guess what? Marvel and DC have seen the market decline somewhat in the past couple of years, and we want to give it a shot in the arm, and we're going to be doing a Marvel versus DC crossover. So there you have it. You know, play, I mean, like what we suspect, because in my article, I kind of lay out every time they do this, it's at a rough time for the industry. Yeah. So we're at a rough time for the industry, and if there ever was a time, yeah. When I, I always used to say Harley Quinn, Deadpool, that would be my dream crossover. <laughs> there you go. Right. Well, unfortunately, I think a lot of people who want this, the target audience, are the people who genuinely get into those discussions in comic books. I swear to God, I thought it was an internet cliche until I started going to comic book stores in person, and it's a <laughs> real thing <laughs> where comic book people will get into an argument. About which one could beat the other yes. in the fight, this character or that character. I honestly thought it was a joke, it's, and then I saw it in person, and I was like, no, there are people It who can be real and a joke at the same yeah. time. <laughs> joke, right? like, people know it's funny, but they also have very strong opinions. True, true. And find it extremely interesting. So are you telling me that there's no people arguing over who would win, Luffy or Naruto? I'm sure there are, and it's exactly the same amount of stupid. <laughs> well, I will say this. Looking at your story and also the earlier story in the beat that I thought was quite interesting about the JLA Avengers. Oh, yes. Um, yes. And was the artist, was that Perez? Yeah. I mean, I thought the art was was gorgeous. Well, the art's always good. But the, the art, but, but the, well, I mean, there has been one legitimate comics classic in this crossover genre, which mm. is Teen Titans versus the X-Men mm. by... 
Chris Claremont and Walt Simonson. Mm-hmm. Absolute pinnacle of yeah. both their careers. Absolute stone cold classic mm-hmm. comic. And I would say JLA Avengers kind of comes after that just because there's Kurt Music yeah. and George Paris. But, um, so the story that you're alluding to is that when this book, the book was originally supposed to come out in 19, 19, or was it 1882? 18, 18, eight, yeah, 1882. 19, 18, yeah, 1882. Yeah, it just seems right? like I know. the 19th 19, century. 1982. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jim Shooter and tensions between Marvel and DC killed it. And so, but George Perez had already drawn some incredibly beautiful peak of his career pages mm, yeah. from it that were just float around. And, um, and then they did finally, so, so they finally finished it in like 2003. And when there was a huge Cold War between Marvel and DC. So the fact they did lay it down enough for this book to come out is pretty, pretty estimate. Because as I also mentioned, there was this whole period when Joe Quesada was, you know, making fun of He was damning it. He was, he was like not having it. I mean, yeah. it's, <laughs> and then I, you know, I was working at DC and I could testify firsthand. There was, people a, do get there was a lot of personal tensions and there was even like people, like one person would be working at DC and their spouse would be working at Marvel and there was kind of some, you know, aspersions cast on that, even though it's very, very common, obviously. For I know, a mixed to work at different companies. marriage, yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a couple of them, and people were like, oh, are they, How dare they? Are they pillows? <laughs> what's their pillow talk like? But, yeah, was are they traitors? Yes, yeah, yeah. It was very competitive. Um, but anyway, I, I, they were, they reprinted it, and uh, they put it together to reprint, and, and Casey Carlson, I just want to shout him out, uh, uh, did this oral history of it is what you're talking about. And we were able to run on the beat and, uh, just want to shout out KC because he did a great job. And, yeah. you know, he isn't able to write anymore because he is suffering from memory issues. But, um, oh, that's too bad. but, uh, I'm really happy. But, and it's, yeah, it's, it's full of dirt. It's yeah. Full of the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The tea. <laughs> well, the tea there part. are quotes in there about how, I mean, there was a period where there seemed to be, uh, com, you know, comics detente. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, but, there was really didn't really work over the There were seemed to be sniping back and forth at some point, but Casada seemed to just like shut it down. I mean, he, th- those quotes there. <laughs> what the what the f is DC, DC anyway? They have Batman and Superman. They don't know what to do with them. That's like being a porn star with the biggest whoop whoop, <laughs> and you can't get it up. What the whoop whoop? I think well, no uncertain terms. Yeah, I would. I, I, as I wrote, those are fighting words. <laughs> that just say the least. <laughs> so. So, but well, okay. So again, this is like I alluded to this in my story, but um, the closest thing. Marie Javins and C.B. Sapolsky did both attend this con in Europe (laughs) and they did do what was billed as a secret panel together. Now I happen to know about it because I did see a picture of them together, which I didn't run with this article but maybe I'll go back and edit it in. But, um, and my understanding is that they had never met before which boggles my mind since they've both been around forever. Um, So anyway. So where can people find this oral history? Oh, on the beat. On the beat. If you go to, unfortunately, I have a gross typo in the URL. But if you go to the beat and search for "Will Marvel and DC ever team up again," you'll find this article. And it, it, you know, I don't know what you think of my article, but I did find a lot of really great links to oral histories of these various parts of. Well, your link sent me to all of this. Yeah, stuff. and yeah. you should you should read these these oral histories because yeah. they are dynamite beams. I do like the, the notion that the Marvel and DC executives had to leave the country to be on the same stage together. Well, I, I, I mean, I it's mean, a great joke. I don't know whether it's, it's true, it but it's funny. It is a joke, but I, I mean, I, I think the fact that they were at this, um, you know, neutral territory, I guess, <laughs> it, it <laughs> was made it easier for sure. them to be on a panel. And of course, they didn't talk about business. They yes, of course. They didn't talk about their careers yeah. and comics, yeah. which, if you know, oh. Marie and CB, would be a, a delightful panel for either. They've both yeah. done incredible, especially Marie. She's traveled the world a few times. So, but for- yeah, well, but, you know, what do you guys think? I mean, I put in here that in order for there to be a, a new crossover, you know, all of the other crossovers took place before Disney bought Marvel. 
So in order for there to be one now, I mean, I really do believe that, that you know, Jim Lee, who's sort of the top guy at, at D.C., and um, uh, Dan Buckley, the publisher at Marvel, would really have to get their permission from their higher-ups. I think their higher-ups would want them to make it an Elseworlds, but that's fine. Well, I think I mean, they be- all are Elseworlds, yeah. but what I mean is they would want it to be very, very clear. They would, you know, because the... The previous ones, as I recall, from low these many years ago, given that they're not in print, were sort of in that murky, oh, their universes collide. Did this happen? Did this not? No one can remember. Whereas <laughs> I think uh, DC and Marvel, Disney, would want to make the delineation a little clearer for for their own boundary issues and just be like this is a very special thing that didn't happen in regular continuity okay a very special and and i'm sure that disney would be very clear on on the the kind of content that they would be okay with i think it would be very tough i mean just reading um your the the articles that you link to uh talking about complaints about going continuity uh characters out of uh, characters being out of their characterizations. Uh, there clearly wasn't always a very clear I mean, editorial. Then there was like, do we do it in the Marvel method or is there a clearer? I mean, I don't know whether you could overcome that even today, but it just seems like a fun idea. I mean, I'll tell you, like, like if you thought. I mean, there's, there does mention that Mike Carlin, who was a, an executive editor at DC, and Mark Granuato, who's the editor, top executive editor at Marvel, were best friends in yeah. the 90s. And so, uh, one of this, um, series of team ups was just plotted in their apartment. Everyone went over to their apartment yeah, right. and sat mm-hmm. around and thought it up. So, I mean, that's just the least formal. But even, at, as you said, Calvin, at other times, like normally laid back people would go nuts over what yeah. was right and what was yeah, the competitiveness. And then I, I just want to finish this. And then, you know, and now that happens every day. Yeah. Like there's so much corporate right. te- pressure on Marvel and DC editors within the company. God only knows what happened. I'm sorry, Kate, you. you. So I was going to say that this reminds me of nothing so much as the infamous thing that happened during um, some a Fast and Furious movie that had Jason Statham, <laughs> Wayne Johnson, and Vin Diesel in it. Mm. And apparently, each one of them was very, very possessive of their own image mm. and their own characters. And so they had to like work out ahead of time. They were like, okay, so for every time you hit me in the head I get to punch you twice and they had to like write this into the script and I love it because the characters the actors were just like no we need to preserve all of our own coolness and so I imagine that Marvel and DC would do much the same thing yeah. be like Okay, so Batman gets to punch Wolverine in the head. Wolverine gets to, I don't know. Uh, Yeah. I think you might be right. I think you're probably right, yeah. I think you're probably right. So, So, I, you know, look, I, I, as I said in my article, I guarantee if Marvel wasn't owned by Disney and DC wasn't a much more important part of Warner than it had ever been before, they'd already be planning this. They'd have already done it because of, you know, the lack of, of zhuzh in the sales these days. Um, and I bet that, I, I'm sure there has been talks. There has to have been some sort of, you know, informal detente or ping pong diplomacy, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I just think it's impossible, especially given some of the things that we're going to talk about later in the podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, Marvel, DC, do the right thing. Yeah, I would love to be proven <laughs> wrong. Just to say that. All I would right. love to be proven wrong. I think it's a, a piggy bank that we've broken open at some point in the further future. Well, yeah. And I mean, like I said, we've done X-Men and T-Dartons. We've done some of the big ones. That's why I would be so excited about Harley Quinn, Deadpool. Like right. the characters, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, I've said it all. Okay, uh, let's move on. GMCRT. Let's move on to a more relevant part of 
comics to some, uh, which is less relevant to others. Graphic novel and comics roundtable. I just yes. wanted to be able to say the that once without mangling it. CRT are good friends. The librarians yes. who love comic books are best friends. And it's, uh, they put out their, their best, their best adult comics and best kids comics lists, which they do every year. And, um, you know, given all of the horrible things that have been happening to librarians and libraries, uh, over the last year, it's really just exciting yes. to see these lists come out and them do them. And, uh, so it's exciting. Um, yeah. so, so that's there's the a graphic. top 10, there's fiction and nonfiction. Yes. Um, so that's the graphic novel. And comics roundtable of, of the ALA. Yeah, of the ALA. Yes. 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 So library. We talked about it a lot here. The podcast. Are these are very important subgroups in the bureaucracy of the ALA for moving comics throughout the yes. library and system. And when the GNCRT first got together, which I guess was five or six years ago, yeah. one of their very first projects that they announced was yes. the best graphic novels for adults reading list, which did not exist and which. Uh, you know, librarians back in the day before, you know, they became targets for wackos, uh, you know, looked at these reading lists. And, and they still do. They, they, right. And they still do, but they're not as unfettered to buy things. Yeah. But, um, but you know, they still exist as, um, these are still really important for acquisitions. Yes. <clears throat> so I'm just going to read the top ten. So this is the graphic novels for adults top ten. Um, just real quick, just so you give an idea. I'm not going to read the creators. Um, Anais Nin, Sea of Lives. Well, I mean, it's by Fantagraphics by Leonie Bischoff. Sounds like a French reprint, to be honest. Uh, Earth Divers, Kill Columbus by Stephen Graham Jones and David Jean-Felice. Good, uh, good that sci-fi we, tale. We've talked about, mm-hmm. I think we've talked to them here on the podcast. The Human Target by Tom mm-hmm. King, Greg Smallwood. Uh, last uh, on his feet, Jack Johnson, The Battle of the Century Great by Maginot and Layla, Songs from Beyond the Grave by Ian Demazon. Uh, by, that's from Humanoids. I'd never heard of that book, so good one. Uh, the Nice House on the Lake by James Tinyan and Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Uh, Calvin's nodding his head very vigorously. It's, it's free, it's freaking scary. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'll yeah, tell you. Yeah. I got to tell James yeah. Tinyan that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okinawa <laughs> by Susumahiga. Uh, published by Fantagraphics and actually it's, uh, edited by uh, Andrew Woodward Butcher. So I do believe it's probably a manga explaining book. It is. So, it is. Yeah, good for them. It yeah, is. that is awesome. Um, Roaming by the Tamakis oh. by Jillian Tamaki and, and uh, well, they got it wrong here. That's funny. It says written by Jillian Tamaki and art by Mariko Tamaki. Oh. Eh, well, uh, there you got it wrong. Eh. Um, so uh, Shubik, uh, Shubik Lubik, another book we've talked about a lot by Dina Mohammed. Wonderful. Uh, and The Talk. By yes, Bell, also. Another book mm-hmm. that's been talked about. Now, there's a big long list on here, yeah. so I'm not going to read that. Uh, so you won't hear the Calvin annotations, yeah. but I'm sure he loves them all. Yes. Fiction uh, and nonfiction. There's a longer list. Yes, a long list of fiction because it is a mix. A mix. Yeah. Now, they also did a comics and graphic novels for children list, which there are many lists. The also obviously puts out a list. And so there are existing lists, but they, they felt that it's important for them to make another list because librarians love lists. Okay, uh, very quickly. Buzzing by Sam Satin and Roy Hickman. Duel by Je- Jessica Bagley and Aaron Bagley. Uh, First Time for Everything by Dan Santat. Well, that's, you know, been yeah. an award winner. Many, uh, I think it was a, a book award, ABA or NBA award. It was nominated, long listed. Noman Rat by Lauren Stoller. <laughs> Noman Rat. Uh, <laughs> Mabuhe by Sterling Zachary. Uh, the Magma Cup, sort of super number two by Eric Gapster. Mexican by Pedro Martin. That was a book that was um, honor book uh, and won the uh, Bella Pew. Uh, anyway, it won a lot of awards <laughs> in the ALA's Media Awards. Uh, one of the most acclaimed kids' comics of the year. Kids' books of the year. Scurry, written by Max Smith. Tasty, a history of yummy experiments by Victoria Grace Elliott. Things in the Basement by Ben Hapke. And, uh, then there is a lot, there's actually more lists. There's the fiction list, uh, let's see. Uh, they, they have a pre-K list. They have, that was, that was the top 10. Yeah. So then they have individual lists for all ages, young readers, pre-K, and, um, uh, middle readers, and I'm sure YA as well. Yeah. So anyway, a lot of really great books. 
on here. And Excellent books. Good going, GMCRT. Yes. Doing what you set out to do. All right. Okay. Um, moving right along. Um, we know how comic sales exploded. It really, reading in general exploded during the pandemic. Um, one of the biggest comics mar- comic markets in the world, the French comics market, was no different. Uh, sales exploded. Now, the French comics market is mammoth anyway. Uh, it is, it must be the biggest Western comics market, um, outside of, you know, the, or the biggest comics market outside of Japan. Well, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Sure I, in the United States. I'm not sure. I think it is. I think it might be. Yeah. They know. Now we've I mean, grown. Per, the North American market has grown dramatically. Yes. And I, I mean, per capita, France just crushes. Yeah, per us. capita, no yes. question. Yes. yes. Per capita. Um, but they're just enormous. But uh, in an article in the Guardian, it really talked about how uh, many of the things that we've been talking about the North American market, how much it's grown, even though as uh, as sales have uh, diminished a little bit uh, as the pandemic recedes. Sales are still at an extraordinarily high level over what they were in 2019. Yeah. And the French market is no different. Uh, fueled, much like North America, by manga. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, there is um, some of the things that we talked about the French market. Like we were all, for instance, I was in Angoulême in 2016. You were there a year or two earlier, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was last there in 2020. It's okay. Yes, right. You were there a little later. And, uh, I mean, one of the things we did find out, I think when I traveled over there, is just in we talk about uh, a bloated market sometimes in this country. Yes. But the French market, for all of its power, uh, seems to have some of the same problems. The inability of artists, even though books sell in extraordinary numbers, uh, and the inability of artists to make a living. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, when I went to Angoulême in 2016, it was very interesting. The French minister of, of, of culture, it was a woman at the time, she, she walked the floor. Uh, I mean, it was, it was the one. But she was there this year. And yeah, there was a woman. Who was there the was a woman. And there also. And no French she pledged an effort to deal <laughs> with this. Yeah. But um, this story is just a, a very interesting look at a market. That I mean, many of us uh, came back from France saying, "Wow! I mean, how can you not make a living when not just? I mean, all kinds of comics are popular in France. It's really yeah. extraordinary." Well, I mean, it's, okay. I mean, I think since you went in 2016, a couple things have emerged: is that it is the largest market for manga. Outside, yeah, um, uh, outside of Japan, outside I guess. of yeah. Japan for sure. And yeah. I, I, you know, I ran a statistic, although apparently, as. Uh, is one of the briefs on our list. America has become the largest manga piracy market. Uh, yes, that's a, I, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, America, USA, too. baby. We're number <laughs> one. USA. Oh, USA. <laughs> um, I, all right, I can't find the statistic, but it's something ridiculous, like one out of four books sold in France is a graphic novel. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I think that's the figure. Yeah. Um, it might be one in five, it might be one in three, but it's somewhere in that, you know, single digits. Um, I can't find the, the reference that uh, I got that from. But but I think what was interesting in this article, it did talk about how they had the similar trajectory to the United States, where it soared during the pandemic, and now it's cooling off, but it's still bigger than it was in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, and they covered nothing. And they covered all of the all of the, the various categories, including webtoons. They're talking about how webtoons are growing, uh, how French kids. I mean, we talked about it in the podcast, I think, a number of years ago, how during the, the pandemic, the French government sort of what was it? They granted kids a certain there was a certain money was fed into the economy to mm-hmm. allow kids to buy comics. Yeah. So um, nice, Must and, be nice. So check it out. It's the Guardian. Um, uh, the headline is we didn't expect this phenomenon to last France's comic book tradition is hitting new heights mm. yeah uh, and also uh, let's see what else have we got here um, also there's a b- app there's a huge app right uh, what's that huge yeah. app yeah, an app called uh, do you want to get it okay uh, the app I'm not sure if I'm saying it properly Picoma 
it's uh, I think it's based in Korea. Uh, it's available in French, not English, although I think an English version is coming. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it sales apparently um, uh, uh, outstrip even Viz and what are the other apps that are out there at the moment? Uh, uh, well, is it Japanese or is it Korean? It's Korean. Korean. Oh, interesting. It's Korean. Uh, so, it's yes, it's... Beating Shueisha and Kodansha's. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it's the top grossing comic app, making over $600 million. Yeah, and then what's interesting is that the most viewed series on it is Solo Leveling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is yes. a huge, you know, K-Comics hit yeah. and a Webtoon hit. And Absolutely. really... Uh, is um, the uh, you know Laura Olympus of of Korean webtoon? Well, um, it's 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 really more like hmm, how we put this: the Laura Olympus of traditionally male leaning webtoon. Mm. So Laura Olympus, regardless of country of origin, is the, the Laura Olympus of of. Female trending webtoons, whereas solo leveling is the same in sort of the more yeah the equivalent of shonen. But I, yeah, that yes, way. oh, it's that. I mean, you know, that was a bit of a joke. Well, but I, I mean, it, they're they're yeah. equivalent scale. Yeah, they're equivalent but, scale and popularity in all over the world. I mean, I, well, I think solo leveling is, is bigger than more Olympus around the world. I, I guess I was meaning. I guess I, I put that as a joke, but really, it's more like a Naruto. Of K-Comics, I think. It's, it's, it's a little, it's not really a Naruto. It's, it's really your original comparison was closer. Okay. Because it's a, the age demographic and the maturity level is much more, more Olympus than Naruto. Oh, okay. All right. It's, it's very much older teen, less Shonen Jump. Yeah. Well, people are reading comics. They are reading them in print and digitally. Yep. Yep. So, yep. Uh, and, and it is very interesting about the French comics market. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if this is still true, but I, I had heard at one point that even using an agent in the French market was somewhat frowned upon at one point. Well, yeah. but you, you, you know, for you, artisting, I'm talking right, about. Obviously, you got to understand that they have a lot more safeguards for every, for, for the everyday every life. There. Yeah, but yeah. Like, clearly not enough. Not enough, but mm-hmm. I mean, but there was this, like a threats of a strike one year. I mean, I I gotta say this: Calvin's only been to Angoulême once, 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 three times, and I want to tell you, if it isn't that drama, it's this drama. Yeah, true. Like the French comics community loves to be dramatic about things, and sometimes it's super justified, and sometimes it's more, you know, it's just killing time. So there was a lot of drama when I was there. That's yeah. for sure. So, Heidi is, is someone who. You know, has more of an outside view on the comics industry. Yeah, is not the American comics industry filled with drama? I or would you say that that France takes it to a new level? I think. Um. Well, no offense. I mean, I I don't mean to sound like uh, anti-francophile. No, but, you're not against it. But uh, I would say the French just have a different approach to drama mm-hmm. than we do, and um. And it's uh, more collective action, less personal sniping. No. Yes, mm-hmm. sort of, kind of. I mean, I think it's just more socialist, socialized yeah. drama is how I put it. Because I was going to say, I was going to say that in France, you know, most professions have a union, mm-hmm. and they have so they kind of have some sort of UBL. Or UBI, Universal Basic Income mm-hmm. Idea concept of France, and so I think when Calvin was there, they were you know talking about a strike and or being more subsidized in as professionals and mm-hmm. like sort of you know unionized. It's something that would be completely. I, I'm really botching it up and sounding vague, so I would have to go back and look at my coverage from ten years ago. But um, it's a lot more organized than we would ever get the United States yeah. market to be because. Uh, there's so many different kinds of cartoonists here, mm-hmm. and, but I, I, for similar reasons, um, the actions fall apart there. And I, I don't know. I, I see it in a way. It's, it's an interesting question. There's a lot of drama in the U.S., but um, I, you know, I feel like 
It's a different flavor of drama. It's a different flavor of drama, and it's like, you know, James Tinian doesn't, you know, wake up in the morning and be like, I must comment on this drama that <coughs> that Alex DeCampi started, you know. Whereas in France, they kind of do that. <coughs> oh, sorry. Well, you know, we, we'll have to reach out to our... Uh... Our friend of the show, Ivanka Hahnenberger, and see if we can't maybe fill, it, fill yes. in some of these blanks. In <laughs> yes. But it's an interesting article yes. uh, about that, and a really important comics yes. market. And, and, and global as, comics as market. is this article about this gigantic manga app that's up from Korea. Yeah, so, uh, and the rise of solo leveling. I mean, I just think we're seeing the international powers shift. Well, speaking of James Tynion. He also, as we record this, the news hasn't broken, but we happen to know it's going to break tomorrow, so we're giving you yes. <laughs> our own preview. But, you know, he has a Tiny Onion newsletter, and uh, his books from Substack were branded as Tiny Onion Publications, so that's mm-hmm. been the name of his kind of publishing company, but it isn't really a publishing company. But it is expanding into something that's much bigger, but still not a publishing company. So... Um, but he has teamed up with Eric Harburn, who was his editor at Boom on Something is Killing the Children, and Courtney Menard, who's a designer, and Jocelyn Stone, a publicist, and they're kind of, I guess, creating a kind of packaging company, sort of? Mm, I mean, that's what it sounds like, yeah. you know. But he's, he's got like, investors, or he's got an investor, yeah, yeah. a he major some, seed investment. Yeah, he got a seed, seed money from Lyrical Entertainment. And lyrical media. Lyrical media, sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry. Mm. Um, so, and I, I did talk to Eric Harper, and there was a story in PW about this that should be out by the time you hear this podcast. And, you know, he was just saying, I, I, I think I've mentioned James on the podcast many times over the past few years. And um, if you read his newsletter, you see he really is kind of, I think he's been ahead of the curve on a lot of things. And he definitely has jumped on publishing as a prominent creator in a pretty effective way. And he's very creative about it. Right, mm-hmm. right, yeah. And, you know, doing Substack and getting Dark Horse to publish all those books. And so, um, frankly, I'm curious to see what he does. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, I mean, obviously he's doing publishing, but this new company is supposed to, you know, Produce things across formats, film, TV, okay. video games. One thing I like and that I think feels sustainable to me, I don't mean the ecological sense, well, I'm sure that too, but I mean is in the fact, in the idea that he can keep this up, is that I've seen a lot of comic creators turn comic impresarios, and a lot of them maybe don't seem to have a good mind for the financials. I never feel like Tinyan's overstretching. Yeah. Yeah. He, mm-hmm. yeah. He's smart about it. I mean, just the fact he got some seed money, which is impressive. So he was able to hire some really awesome people. I mean, that's a really great core. Yeah. Any mm-hmm. company, Courtney, is she did. She's a multi-eisner dominee at Z2. She did all those beautiful, beautiful books at Z2. Um, Jaslyn uh, is great. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been working with her for um, over a year. And uh, anyway, good people. Yeah. She just got some yeah. really good people. And I think, like I said, they're kind of a little vague another statements thus far, but I guess what I kind of get the impression is is that they just you know want to work with people that they think are going to be the difference makers. And I mean everyone says that, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I but everybody has a different vision every, of what that is. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Perfectly put. And um I'm curious to see who they want to work with. Mm-hmm. And I would pay attention to that. You know? Yeah. And if you want to see them in action, if you really want a great look, I, I imagine they're gonna do it again this year. They had a huge presence at FlameCon oh, yeah. in New yeah. York mm-hmm. last year. Um, because, you know, James Tiny was one of their honored guests. Um, and you were just showing up a whole bunch of books from Tiny Onion. Um, and the people behind the desk were not random employees. They were the writers and artists. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it feels like a small town con, but it's in New York City. So listeners, if you want to see, go home to FlameCon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, James kind of did proof concept doing Razor Blades, that horror anthology, mm-hmm. which he did put out as kind of a Kickstarter book. And then I think it came, another edition came out from Image. But, you know, he did a great book. And 
really nice book, really great contributors, looked great and did it right and made money. And yeah, I'm curious to see what Tiny Onion continues to do. Um, more to come. Yeah. More to come. More to come. Well, that ends the happy part of our, <laughs> the happy upbeat part. Listen, this is comics. There's always going to be ups and downs, usually at the exact same time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so where are we on our story list? I guess we're at content Armageddon. <clears throat> oh, oh, oh. oh, boy. So, listeners, this may not be something that's shown up in your radar, unless you are an anime fan, or you know an anime fan. Or you follow an anime fan on Twitter. Because Funimation was one of the two main digital anime content sources in English, legally, on the internet. A lot of people bought in the same way you would buy an Amazon Prime video... Mm-hmm. In the same way that you would buy from iTunes, or I mean, yeah, but what I mean is, is like a yeah. specific. You were buying it from a specific online store through a specific online ecosystem, right? right? So there, they had an ecosystem where you could, instead of all you can eat renting, you could buy specific anime. Well, Funimation has done a merger with Crunchyroll, and Crunchyroll has basically eaten Funimation. And now Crunchyroll has announced that, yeah, no, you can't get those files anymore. And they ask everyone to be patient with them, and that they'll try to deliver a good product. But the fact of the matter is that you don't have your product anymore. And so this has led to a lot of people saying, but frankly I think myself, that if you have a digital file... And you have not downloaded it in a DRM-free fashion. Mm, yeah. You don't own it. You don't give me... You're, you don't own it. You only own it until the company decides they don't want you to own it anymore. You know, Viva LimeWire. That's all I have to say. Yeah. You know. I mean, you know, some people say, oh, the DVD is is outmoded. Why does anyone buy them? And this this is why people buy them. Well, mm-hmm. we're we're seeing a lot of this. And, you know, it's it's in the, the, the series that are being removed from Disney Plus and Max. Mm-hmm. They're taking away the series. And, they're, and they you know, don't always put them somewhere they else. They don't put them somewhere else. And Sometimes things, they do, but usually yeah, not. Yeah, and, and all of our, our streamers are are making less content available. And But, I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we've been talking about the Crunchyroll Funimation merger for a long time. because We I have, but this particular detail is... Right, it's just sprung it on it. Right, but I want to back up a little bit because I seem to remember that Crunchyroll was part of Warner Brothers, right? Wasn't it? Or it was part of a different studio, and then they sold it to Universal under, and we thought, oh, it's going to become Funimation, but it became the other way around, right? Yeah. Okay. No, because I just remember us specifically talking about how Warner Brothers was launching a streaming platform and then got rid of a very successful part of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but guess yeah. what? Good idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it seems like they're doing an Oni Press Lion Forge, <laughs> where the one yeah. doing the acquisition yeah. becomes the one getting eaten. I don't even know. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Um, I will say that it's uh, it might contribute to the environment, which makes. The United States now, according to various different measures, the number one home of manga piracy yeah. in the world market. Yeah. Well, the you know the other part—that's one part. You have angry consumers of content that they purchased and thought they would have access to, and now they are losing access to. Uh, and then, you know, David Zaslav is at it again. I mean, there was so much outcry when he shelved Batgirl. So they're going to do the same thing to Coyote Coyote vs. Acme, which stars John Cena and is, like Roger Rabbit, a animation, you know, film hybrid that people have been working on for years. The movie is finished. Yeah. It's in the can. It's been done since 22. And unlike Batgirl, uh-huh. it has had no, like, all of their screening. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. All of their screen just, like, 
There are no bad notes. Yeah, it's over. Right? It's not like people are like, well, it's a troubled production. No. It's not a troubled no. production. People are like, this like, is good. They like this movie. It's and really so amazing. They, it's, and so then they sold it around, and then, guess well, what? They got offers. Like, like Universal, Netflix, well, and the, well, they wanted to do it. Well, but what happened is, is that Zaslav was going to shelve it for tax break. But the creatives who worked on it mm-hmm. complained enough on the internet that people were like, hey man, this sounds messed up. And Zaslav took it back and was like, okay, okay, we'll shop it around. And people were like, great, they'll shop it around. Yeah. But then, even though they had art, they had um, offers from Paramount, Netflix, Amazon, more, for more than the amount they would have been able to write it off for. Right. That's what I don't understand. Yeah, I don't get it. It's, I mean, I honestly, I hope his shareholders are mad. Mm-hmm. Because this is, you know, we talk about, oh, you know, well, all this is just business. It's making the shareholders money. Well, this is not this making is not, the shareholders money. This is not this business. Is, this is taking money out of the shareholders' pockets because literally the amount you're writing up in your taxes is less than the amount you're being offered. Yeah, I, I not I, okay. I mean, I thought destroying art for I no reason. Thought this many times. Well, some say the reason it's being shelved is it does have quite an anti-corporate message to it. Well, I mean, so what? Yeah, that really I hurt mean, Barbie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? let's be honest. Since it hurt Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, furthermore, oh, has it hurt every single rock and roll album? That has songs about how they're being oppressed by the record label, and then the record label puts it out. No. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, you know, my conclusion is pretty simple. I think David Zaslav's evil. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think I you're think, right. I think he's petty and he hates art. We've got a weird supervillain running. Yeah. A company. I mean, that- how could someone? And he <laughs> literally hasn't watched it. He literally has refused yeah. to watch it. Yeah. Which makes, like, I mean, I've said this on this podcast before, but um, I am getting more and more MGM vibes from Warner Brothers, and it breaks my heart to say that. But, you know, you, you, no studio is too big to, to, fail. To, to fail. And, you know, I've said it before, MGM used to be the biggest and grandest studio of them all with the greatest library. And now they're not, you know, they they're became not. nothing. And now they're just an, an imprint at Amazon. And, you know, Warner Brothers, with being run by somebody who's so clueless to the creative community and the fan community, yeah. like, just clueless and making bad decisions. I, I don't see how, you know, I mean, they're going to get bought by... bad PR bomb. Yeah, and I mean, they're going to get bought by Comcast. I mean, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to sell it to Comcast. And you know what? Comcast... Would rather have good content than thirty million dollars because well, it could be worth a lot more than thirty sure. million dollars. Well, yeah. my hope is that it was actually forty-three million dollars. In any event, um, I sincerely hope that, like, perhaps the level of bad PR mm. and the level of flushing money down the toilet might—I don't know—get his corporate masters annoyed. Um, Maybe it will, because after all, the one thing they do care about is the pocketbook. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's crazy times. Um, so we have a couple more items here. What's, uh, okay. So, um, well, on the other side of the aisle, it looks like, you know, the MCU was dead at this time last week, but now there's signs of life. And um, it is very significant that the only MCU project that's going to be released in 2024, no Disney+, Plus, no Ant-Man meets Kang, nothing, uh, no the Marvels. Uh, the only movie is going to be kind of a Fox, pardon me, Fox production, uh, Wolverine, or Deadpool versus Wolverine, and uh, starring Brian Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. And they showed the trailer for it during the Super Bowl, or a teaser for the trailer, because now you go for the teaser and you watch the whole right. trailer. And the, Anyway, it was one of the most watched trailers of all times, and people were very excited because they thought Dr. Doom was in it, and maybe there was a Secret Wars, and, and it's funny, and 
Yeah, Deadpool's back. Got everybody super duper excited about Deadpool. I mean, there hasn't been a Deadpool movie since 2017, so it's been a long time. You know, I feel like the Super Bowl audience is perfect for this. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of people like me who really yeah. enjoyed the first two Deadpool. And you know, let me tell you, I don't know who has basic cable. I mean, I have Hulu, but uh, if you turn it on. One of the two Deadpool movies is always playing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's, you know, it's like one of those movies that is just always on yeah. cable. So, um, and you know, I, I, it's the only, the first and thus far, well, not only, but it was the first Marvel movie, Marvel branded, it came out from Fox, uh, to have a really great game, you know, queer relationship in it that okay. was portrayed really, just normal, and and they will be back. Um, teenage Negasonic Warhead and her her uh, girlfriend will be back in Deadpool versus Wolverine. So, yeah, good for that. Yeah, cool. Look forward to that. Oh, uh, and then there was the fantastic forecasting news. There's true. Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, um, the internet went crazy. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, I just you know once again I'm Mr. Nostalgia, so I'm very interested in it. I mean. I admit my my movie acumen is of you know doesn't stand up against you guys, but uh, they announced it. But the the Fantastic Four seems to have been such. I mean, there's a reason why this was called the world's greatest comic book, (laughs) Uh, and the movies don't reflect that at all. None of them have done it. So, well, I I think I think it helps that they're casting people this time who have more comedic chops. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 all good. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of curious about the, you know, what the universe is going to look like. Yeah. I mean, if if they're not in the Baxter Building, I'm not going. Uh, that's just it. If they're putting them in some like, you know, Fortress of Solitude. Well, the rumor is I'm I'm not there, so we'll okay. see. Now, the rumor is that it's some sort of merged universe. They end up in the MCU or something. So I'm sorry, spoiler. Yeah, spoiler. We'll, we'll see. That really doesn't we'll, tell you anything. Yeah, I mean, this cast, uh, this cast is Pedro Pascal mm-hmm. as uh, Reed Richards, uh, Vanessa Kirby as mm-hmm. Sue Storm, uh, Eben Moss, Ma- 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 Moss as the thing. That's great casting. Everybody loves that one. And um, uh, Joseph Quinn, who played that that funny metal guy, that funny D and D metal guy on Stranger Things, <laughs> as uh, Johnny Storm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think. Uh, they're all over 30, by the way. Joseph Quinn is 30. I mean, this is a much older Fantastic yeah. Four than we've seen before. Yeah, but I mean, I will say, well, I mean, except for Mr. Fantastic, who's typically cast maybe a little too old for the role. But anyway, um, I would say that it looks like from the casting, I could be wrong, but every single one of these actors has done well with comedy. And I feel like this might be a sign they're going for a lighter touch. Oh uh, yes. And I think yes. I think there are enough Poe faced Marvel hero movies now <laughs> where everyone's very, very serious and even if they're comedic characters, they stop being funny halfway through the movie so that everyone can be like, Oh no, the MacGuffin of Doom will destroy the universe. <laughs> oh <laughs> Um So yeah, uh, I, I I feel like this is giving me some cautious optimism. Liking it so far. Well, I hope they live up to their cast. I got one thing to tell you. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. So Bob Iger is wisely, hey, let's shut down this flow of pretty mediocre content and make Marvel special again. So good, good move. Good move. Okay, I, I feel like we only have a couple minutes left, and we wanted to talk a little bit about last week's podcast. Yeah. yeah. Unusual, but it was my interview with Brian Botts Brown. Uh, definitely had a lot of fun talking to Brian and about his career, which the guy has an incredible career. And, uh, but you guys had some thoughts on it. Well, I mean, I thought it was a, a it marked kind of the, uh, Box Brown is an interesting transitional figure because he's he, he, he I mean he's kind of like Raina but not mm. <laughs> her level of it, financial success. Yeah, I mean she started as an indie you know zine guy, and then I mean, the next thing you look up, I mean he's got one book by a big publisher after another. Mm. I mean it's what 
five or six yeah, I, books. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. And yet he did that. You know, he did that book, Child Star, that was fiction. Child Star. I, uh, yeah, I was just cleaning yeah. up and found that book. It's a really good book. Yes, rarely done. The Andy Kaufman book. Yeah. I mean, of course, the uh, Andre the Giant, the illegalization of marijuana, mm-hmm. which is really the history of of uh, governments persecuting people over marijuana, mm-hmm. uh, and Tetris, which was an absolutely perfectly entertaining and fascinating work of nonfiction about. How this game came to the right. to the mm-hmm. into the gaming industry, but he he can barely make a living. Uh, it's it's really kind of hard to know how to react to it. Now he's making some kind of living, but he's clearly not happy. Well, I I think I think one of the things that Box did say is that he had a big project that fell through. Yeah, definitely. and. Yeah. That can leave a big hole in your finances. Can leave a big hole, and you know some people pivot really well, yeah. and some people don't pivot. And, yeah, and it can leave an emotional hole. Yeah, too. I mean, I would say emotional. And you know, I, I, as I was talking to him, I kept being like, "But I mean, you have done all this stuff. You won Eisner's, you won Ignatz's, you, you've started your own company, you've had successful Kickstarters, you've, you've worked with all the greatest indie cartoonists when you were the publisher of Retrofit, and you know." Your Andre the Giant book was a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, it's hard to believe that um, he isn't considered himself a success or struggling financially, but here we are. I mean, comics broke me or just a lull in his career? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. You know? I think some of it may be structural issues that, I mean, something Calvin was bringing up before the show is that he has kids. Right, and that can yeah. really change well, the amount of income you need. He actually said that on yeah. his podcast. Yeah, he said yeah. That, that. Yeah, the but, reality sets in. Yeah, but I mean, I know he said that in the podcast, but I meant we were just yeah, saying, we were. Oh yeah, which yeah, is yeah. that you know sometimes from the outside looking in, when you're trying to break into the comic industry, you see the graphic novel sections getting bigger. You hear about how much Raina Telgenmeier is selling, and you think, just like people who want to write books, that the successful people, or the relatively successful who aren't the very top of the market are making more money than they are. Mm. And something that might be comfortable for a single person or a couple, you know, it's not enough for a whole family. Like, it may be... Even if it didn't break you, um, I think a lot of people are too proud to admit that maybe comics is not the financial gold mine that they thought it would be. And also... Everyone I, wants to yeah. look like they're successful. And I mean, look, we have talked about the numbers here. And like, even if you do get an advance from a publisher, like for a second, I mean, it's, you know, that one, it was Nate, Nate Powell, who's... Yeah. National Book Award winner. Yeah. yeah. Um, an Eisner Award winner. He's won every award there is to win. When, you know, the, the artist of the March trilogy, one of the most celebrated comics yeah. of the century yeah. thus far. And he mentioned that his advance on one book was $35,000. And like, I don't, th- listener, can you live on that for two years? And one you know, year, yes. Two years, no. And even um, good books don't earn out. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so. You know, whether he's getting royalties on those. I mean, I, I think... Unless you're not, you don't. I know that we're running out of time on this this podcast, so we might have to pull this up at a, on another date, because this could certainly be a whole yeah. long discussion. Yeah. Itself. But just really quickly, you know, um, what is it, Calvin? How many books are published in the United States every <laughs> These days, it's in the... It's a six figures. It's, hun- okay. it's it's over, you know. Yeah, now, like, this is because of the self-publishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. But even if, even if you weed out all of the Bigfoot romance novels, mm. there's still a lot of competition. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, what, but my point is, let's say it's a quarter of a million bucks. I think it's more than that. It's up, yeah, I think it's up there. I mean, we're sitting here looking at the PW, like there's a bookcase, a bookshelf, which is the rejects, and then there's a dumpster full of galleys. Yeah. A dumpster full of books, galleys. And um, do all... But still send us our, your galleys. Yeah, send us your yeah, galleys. Yeah, so we're not saying don't send the galleys. Don't send the galleys. But so we're saying... Send them. We peruse them, we use them, everything. Uh, but I guess my point is, is everyone who writes these books making a living doing it? No. Well, everyone knows. 
you know, they may have some income coming in from these books, but they yeah, may not have much a, a I mean, I do living have, income. Yeah, coming from and these I books. mean, you know, maybe people make a living doing books about how to knit hats. You know what I'm saying? Like, there might be craft publishers like, oh, here's my new book about oh, yeah. hat patterns. And I I wouldn't predict that the hat pattern would be your full paycheck. Well, I I know, but I'm using that as an example. Let's say cookbooks. Yeah, that's a huge category. So. Romance. You know, look, I I. I I, I mean, Box published books on topics as popular as as pa grass. Yeah, the most popular topic in the world, according yeah. to my neighborhood. Um, and we actually talk about that in the podcast. If you haven't yeah. listened, go back a biography of Putin. Yeah, I mean, a better Putin. And, and serious topics and things that are very popular. But you know, his big hit was. I, I, I'm just throwing this out there as a hypothesis that just came to me as we're talking right now. You know, his first success was Under the Giant, and I said it was kind of before these behind-the-scenes wrestling books came out, but, I mean, I know wrestling, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes, and it's still very popular. You know, maybe his books weren't popular, maybe his books about wrestling were popular, you know? I mean, you don't know, I, you, that's why I'm saying you don't know what the secret sauce is sometimes. Yeah. It's it's that's the that's the trick in book publishing. Yeah, what the, yeah. the old Joe, you know, the accountant comes to the publisher and you know, he's trying to figure out his money and and the accountant says, Yeah, well here's your problem. Just get rid of all these other books you're publishing and just publish bestsellers. <laughs> so we you know, he figured it out. So yeah. but um we haven't given up on Box Brown. No, no, Go no. to boxbrown.com. He's got a, a he's got a self published book coming out, Legalization Nation, his his, uh, he's got a comic strip looking at the process, and it's also it's a fascinating. It's really fascinating. I mean, you know, as we so, say here in New York, I mean, you know, if you don't smoke, like I, me, like just every, you know, when your bakery is taken over by a pot shop, you're like, what's going on here? here? You go. <laughs> and I'm not just a, uh, you know, an interested party. I'm a consumer. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. I'm getting that book. We're all interested in this book. So we'll we got your back, Box. Yeah, yeah Box. We got your keep back. Keep on going. We yeah. are going to read your comics. All right. And on that note, there will be more to come. Nice.